Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to Slate Spoiler Specials. I'm Sam Adams, the senior editor at Slate, and today I'm joined by Slate's features editor, Jeffrey Bloomer. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hi, Sam. Today, we are spoiling the movie Orphan First Kill, the prequel to 2009's Orphan, which is the story of a creepy adopted child who, spoiler, turns out to be a homicidal adult. In Orphan First Kill, we learn how Esther made her way from Estonia to the U.S., courtesy of a wealthy American family grieving the loss of their missing daughter. But before we get into that, Jeff... What did you think of Orphan First Kill? Okay, I have to admit, I absolutely loved this movie. Um, it was like just a masterclass in understanding the assignment. Uh, part of the issue with Orphan First Kill is you already know that this supposed little girl is an adult, and I kept wondering how is it going to be that uh, this movie has any kind of the level of fun or mischief as the original, and uh, it comes up with a solution for that. That's absolutely perfect. I thought. What did you think, Sam? Uh, I liked it. Okay, I think the uh, twist, which we will definitely be talking about shortly, um, is an ingenious one. Obviously, as you mentioned, this movie has sort of a problem going in. That the thing that made the first movie so much fun, which is this completely bonkers revelation about an hour into it, is the premise for this movie. So it is hard to live up to that level. I think it sort of needed a little more juice in a lot of different places. So it's, I mean, if you love the first movie, and you're looking to sort of relive that high a little bit. This is sort of, I don't know, effective uh, horror movie methadone or something, but I, I don't think it really measures up to the first. I actually rewatched a little bit of the first after watching this one, and it's actually a somewhat dour movie until the twist in which I remember seeing in the theater and people just absolutely screaming at the screen. And this one, I think, has a more contagious sense of mischief and sort of um, kind of winking at the audience very hard throughout the movie, perhaps too hard, but... Anyway, let's get into the plot. We can discuss that more later. Yes. All right, so we start off in this movie. Um, this is basically based on a line from the first movie where you find out that Esther, who's adopted by this uh, American family, sort of came over from a sort of mental hospital in Estonia. Um, and so this is sort of the story how that happened. So we start off in that mental hospital, which is a little more like a sort of prison for the criminally insane. We sort of enter alongside this... Uh, sort of art therapy teacher who's there with all these, you know, sort of nice liberal ideas about how she's going to, you know, work with these inmates and make their lives more pleasant and immediately warned about the most dangerous prisoner in the whole facility, basically the Hannibal Lecter of Estonian uh, asylums, uh, who is uh, this uh, 
I guess, 30-year-old woman then known as Lena. The teacher naturally finds this kind of strange because all she sees is this sort of sweet little girl sitting at her desk drawing. Uh, We quickly find out why. Within a couple minutes of the movie, Lena has uh, crushed a prison guard's skull, sort of arranged for another one to be murdered, and then she hitches a home back to Moscow with this unsuspecting teacher who she then beats to death with a tire iron. Uh, Jeff, what do you think of this reintroduction to Esther? Yeah, I mean, I think, let it be said that if you're going to be in a horror movie, do not be an art appreciation teacher in a mental asylum. It's just like really setting yourself up for a bad fate. Um, I I thought it was a fun opening sequence. I mean, you know, it's such a horror sequel thing or prequel in this case to like set it open in an insane asylum with the monster from another movie just sitting there all angelically. But it was nevertheless a fun and effective sequence. I felt bad for the poor art teacher. <laughs> but it's it it uh, it does its job, and then from there you sort of she has like Googled missing children. It seems at this woman's house after she you know beats her to death um, repeatedly, um, and she has found that there's a woman who or a missing little girl who look, kind of looks like her four years ago uh, in Connecticut, which I believe is where the original orphan is set. So they're sort of leading up to that, and she c- plays in a like a park until a cop comes over it's in the middle of the night and he's like what are you doing here little girl and she's like i don't know my name's esther this little girl's missing uh her name is esther then we cut to the united states where there's a family that has been missing a little girl or so we think for a while and uh delightfully it turns out that the mother is played by julia styles of uh, many 90s movies fame and she comes to moscow to retrieve her daughter we should mention this family. If you grew up, um, as I did, in Fairfield County, um, you know very precisely what this family being located in Darien is meant to signify. But if you don't, we see Esther's older brother, who's named Gunner, uh, introduced in the middle of a fencing tournament with the Interpol song Evil playing. So if you can't figure it out at that point that these are sort of like evil, uptight wasps, then you're just not, you need to put your phone down and watch a little more closely. I have to say that song um, really effectively conveys that this is a movie set like 15 years ago, but you're, you're immediately like, okay, we're not we're not quite now. Like, I haven't heard that song in a long time. Um, still very good, though. Um, but yeah, so we are introduced to this family, been missing their girl for four years, and at least the, the mother and the father, who is sort of an artist who has not really been painting for four years because of his grief, they seem very pleased and relieved to finally have their daughter back. Brother Gunner seems a little more put off by it. We think at first that this is just because maybe he doesn't quite buy this thing. It's weird that his sister has come back, doesn't seem to remember anything, has a Russian accent. Um, and so none of them are quite um, believing on this. And... Uh, It doesn't seem like Esther is starting to pull off the ruse very well at first. But uh, before we get into that, let's take a quick break. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker, and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. 
Okay, and we're back. Uh, so as I was saying, uh, Esther has come over from Estonia. It seems like she's come up with a pretty good ruse to worm her way into this family, but she almost immediately starts making mistakes, which raise suspicions. Uh, Jeff, do you want to talk about those a little? On the flight back, um, which it should be said at one point during this flight, she like steals a bottle of vodka and starts like punching up the airplane's bathroom. Like I, I really can't overemphasize how fun this movie is. Uh, but on this plane back to the United States, she sort of forgets or well, obviously didn't know that her grandmother is dead and says oh i can't wait to see her and julia styles evil wasp philanthropist woman is like mm. uh, like you can kind of tell something's not right and then later in a therapist's office she runs over and somehow i learned the parrot's name in the therapist's office but it's the wrong parrot apparently in the four years she was gone parrots that live 100 years this one died and there's a new parrot and she calls it by the wrong name it's a different kind of parrot this comes up multiple times in the movie like all macaws are parrots but not all parrots or macaws or something like that is a line that's actually spoken uh and so it sort of becomes clear that yeah she's fucking up a little bit um and you know to give a picture of the family so the father is this like brooding artist type who really hurt from the loss of his daughter the mom is like a philanthropist of some kind who like you know for reasons that we'll learn shortly is less broken up about the death of her daughter and then there's the son right and so the thing with lena is that she really loves the fathers of these families that is sort of her thing so she starts to get like really ingratiating herself with the father while the mother and son kind of look at her in a like more alien foreign way and she obviously clearly wants to bone him she's 31 not you know nine or whatever and like he you know sort of responds to her overtures positively at first if not really understanding exactly what he's responding to so that is like sort of the dynamic of this movie um that's what kind of what's going on but there is someone in particular who notices that she's not exactly right, and that is a detective who investigated the disappearance of a little girl originally. And he starts kind of stalking around the house and taking pictures of her in public and stuff. It's really, I don't know what it is that sets him off exactly, but he ends up coming to their house one night when the parents are out. Um, this is sort of an important scene because uh, the parents, I don't know, they're at some kind of fundraiser or something. And the uh, son has a party and Esther sort of reveals herself to him a little bit. She tells him to like fuck off pointedly in front of his friends. And he's like openly mean to her basically. Um, and you're starting to get the lay of the land a little more, but this detective shows up and he, <laughs> he steals a vinyl record. I believe it is that has her fingerprints on it. He suspects that she's not who she says she is. Uh, unfortunately for the detective, this like, very small but very effective homicidal maniac realizes what he's up to and that sort of brings us to a very pivotal turning point in the movie yes so esther follows him home um there's a little sequence where he's uh making a, a cocktail for himself with for some reason an extremely sharp knife there's a shot of him going back to his desk with that knife disappeared esther starts closing in on him and then bum, 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 let's take a break and we will come back and discuss exactly what happens Okay, so we're back. So Esther now has grabbed her tiny but sharp little knife. She's closing in on the detective just as he is running her fingerprints and discovering that they do not match the ones belonging to the missing little girl. She sets in with the stabbing. Blood goes everywhere. He's down on the floor, but he's not quite dead. And then, Jeff, what happens? So the Julia Stiles mom shows up out of nowhere and shoots him dead. <laughs> and uh, it, it it's sort of like this moment of like, what is going on in this movie? Is this a joke? But then, 
you sort of cut to a really hilarious sort of like fireside chat in this guy's apartment where Julia Stiles goes, wait a minute, you're a grown-ass woman? <laughs> and they're like, she, uh, for whatever reason, Esther uh, slash Lena decides to tell her it, the entire story of why she's there killing this detective and not actually her daughter. And this woman wants to kill the detective because she doesn't want him looking further into the fact that this is not their daughter because she knows that her daughter's dead because the son killed the daughter. I don't exactly know what this fencing son did. They were roughhousing in some way and went a little too far or something. But basically, she's dead. And they, the mom dumps her in the bottom of a well because she doesn't want her son to you know, go to prison. Her daughter's dead. It is what it is. And the dad doesn't know anything about this because the dad's a sweet, sensitive artist. It is not clear to me whether the mom's story about like, oh, Gunnar just always played rough with her. And then one day uh, he got too rough and she died is, is meant to be sort of a, yet another cover story or sort of her delusional version of what actually happened. Like, I, it, that's just a little fuzzy for me. But yes, Gunnar killed Esther, who has not been missing for four years. She's just presumably been at the bottom of the same well that the detective's body gets dumped into. Esther has not not been fooling this family. She has been unknowingly involved in a three-way conspiracy to cover up Esther's death from the one person in the family who doesn't know about it, which is the dad. And so now she enters into a more formal agreement uh, with the mom and the brother to keep this thing going for, I guess, the betterment of all, or the, so none of them go to jail. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Not surprisingly, this perfect little suburban family turns out to be uh, just a bunch of psychopaths who, um, with better breeding and less of an accent. Yeah, let's let it be said that if this movie's like you know uh, portrayal of whiteness gone amok is not clear enough, the mother starts talking about how their family came over on the Mayflower and their son's life matters and they have to protect him and he his bloodline is really important and it's just like. Wow, movie. Like they really lay it on thick, but it's like still, you know, that Esther is going to absolutely destroy these people. So it, <laughs> she becomes sort of almost the person you're rooting for, um, kind of the hero of the movie. Yeah. So we knew that a twist was coming in this movie. You're making a sequel to a movie with probably one of the most, you know, famous twists of the last 15 years. Um, so of course there's going to be one. Um, did you find, were you surprised by this? Were you satisfied? How do you feel about the Julia Stiles big bomb drop here? As I said before, I loved it. I did not expect it. I knew something was not right and something was going to, you know, the movie was going to be flipped over at some point. You could kind of sense that it was like dancing around some kind of revelation. And I thought this was really fun. Um, and it's also just a pleasure for to see Julia Stiles and like really dig her teeth into like a really dumb but fun role like this. She's sort of been a long suffering actress who's had a lot of like kind of shitty parts and she really leans into this. And I appreciate that. I agree with that. I felt like, especially as she was sort of playing out the string on this character that we now, you know, find out is, is a psychopath of her own. Uh, I wanted her to kind of dig her claws into a little bit more and draw a little bit more blood. There was something like a little weirdly subdued about this for me. Like one of the things that makes the first wor movie work for me is that uh, Vera Farmiga, who plays the mom in that movie, is giving this incredibly like... I think this really good, very kind of committed performance. She's more like she kind of almost doesn't know what movie she's in and apparently was kind of, you know, pissed off at the way they edited. Like she was taking the character very seriously and like wrote some original song on the piano that the mom was supposed to have written for Esther that they then cut out of the movie. It gives it this real kind of operatic quality. Um, this is much more knowingly camp as I think 
going into the movie with knowing who Esther is, it kind of has to be. I think Julia Stiles is maybe like a, an eight or a nine, and I kind of wanted her more like a ten and a half. No, that's fair. I think, uh, you know, anyone watching a movie called Orphan First Kill, that's a prequel to a 2009 movie about a person with, like, hormonal imbalances who's, like, 31 and pretending to be nine. I don't know. I think that people understand what they're getting into, and I think that's why I responded to this movie just, like, being in on the joke a little more. But you're not wrong about the original. It really is quite a a monument to a certain moment and actors taking a script really seriously when it could have easily gone in another direction. There's a moment in this, I mean, one of the sort of the, the campiest moments of it, which again goes back to the original, but is that it's very clear that um, Esther slash Lena um, wants to have sex with her, you know, her dad in this movie, uh, which is technically okay because she's in her thirties, but obviously super weird. Julia Stiles eventually cottons onto this. And there's a, a scene at the end where she kind of confronts Esther about this as like, oh, you know, you know, he's never, you realize he's never going to like be with you. Right. Um, and her exit lines have like, well, now I'm going to go upstairs and fuck my husband. Um, and that is, that is a moment where I wish I had seen this in a theater because I, people would have been screaming at that. And I didn't feel right just doing it alone in my living room. Let me tell you, I did see this in the theater and there was only one other person in the theater, but she definitely made it worthwhile. She was responding audibly. Um, the only other experience I had at the theater was a guy looking at my ticket and being like, orphan first kill, dude. And I was like, yep, yep, here I am. <laughs> uh, most people... <laughs> I agree. I, I think most people will watch this movie on Paramount Plus uh, where it's streaming. But uh, if it's in a theater near you, perhaps you should give it a shot. All right. So we are building up to our final confrontation in this movie. But let us take a quick break first, and then we will come back and discuss. And we're back. So final confrontation time. Uh, Esther and uh, Trisha and Gunnar have been trying to work out this three-way conspiracy, but of course it is not entirely sustainable. All these people are too kind of crazy and self-involved and homicidal to really stick together for long. Uh, Esther eventually uh, serves Julia Stiles a breakfast smoothie with a poisoned rat in it, and that just kind of, you know, set set things off on a bit of a path at that point, I guess. The poor rat is like Esther's only friend in this house. And for some reason, Julia Stiles uh, decides that this just isn't going to work anymore for her. So she poisons her food one night, Esther's food. But Esther, for some reason, can tell that that happened and feeds it to the rat, like kind of like a gladiator having its like breakfast checked. And the rat dies and Esther's really pissed about this. So that's how the rat ends up in the smoothie and how we get kicked off into our climactic battle. Okay, so what happens next, Jeff? So... Uh, The dad has an art show somewhere, and he invites Esther to come, but the mom's like, no, we have plans already, and Esther's like, what plans? But they end up staying, Um, the dad goes away, and obviously this is times for Julia Stiles to um, get to business and get rid of this girl. So they... Uh, Esther attempts to push them in front of a train after the dad leaves. This does not go well. And then Esther steals her car, um, the mom's car, and uh, but is quickly apprehended by the police who know that like she's not, you know, she's a little girl or seemingly a little girl. And they take her home. The police has a hilarious interaction with Julia Stiles being like, is she in therapy? And then uh, they're all in the house. And it's the final night and the gloves are starting to come off. Then... Uh, 
things start to get bloody. And let it be said, Esther's face is covered in blood through two thirds of this movie, including this entire climax. Um, do you want to take us through that, Sam? Sure. So as these are the, the waspiest people on the face of the planet, uh, the weapons start to come out in this final confrontation. Gunner, Esther first kills with um, a crossbow and then his own fencing epee stabs him to death with that. And then uh, the house gets set on fire. Um, the two are sort of chasing each other around, um, end up for no particularly coherent reason um, on the sort of classically, you know, sort of Italian tiled roof of this enormous house. Um, they're, you know, clambering up after each other like we're in the hunchback of Notre Dame uh, or something like that. And somehow and <laughs> this is all, None of the staging of this is very good. Like, it's just, there's just this sort of weird cut. And suddenly the two of them are both hanging from the gutters as the husband comes home because he's been called by the police because of the, the mom's car being stolen. Oh, but why she called the cops on the, you know, the missing daughter who isn't missing anymore, who's actually like a 30-year-old Estonian. Why she thought, like, involving the cops in that just because she'd run off with her car. Um isn't really clear. But when the dad comes home, the two of them are hanging from the gutters. Um, he has an opportunity to save one of them and he reaches for Esther's hand as Julia Stiles falls to her death. And then they make sure to show you that not only does she, her body broken by the fall, but there's a very loud sort of like splat and like a kind of very meaty exodus from her head as it makes contact with a sort of uh, like granite curbing block. Um, <laughs> and so finally, you know, Esther and the dad are up on the roof of this house that is going up in flames. Esther takes this moment to kind of let her dad know that she uh, she really kind of loves him in a way that it perhaps is more than a you know young girl might love her dad. Uh, the dad looks a little bit confused and then he just uh, falls off the roof too. And he dies uh, right next to his wife. Yeah, I think what's happening in that final scene, First of all, they the, the deaths are so graphic and lovingly done because they like really hammer at home how awful these people are. Like that before Gunner dies, he starts talking about this is America, people like me matter. It's like really laying it on. And so when he's dying, you're sort of like, yeah, it's like sort of exciting. Um, the same with the mom, who's like a real monster. But the dad at the end, I think what's happening is that Esther reveals to him that she's really like an older woman, right? Like she like takes her teeth out. I think she has like fake teeth to make herself look younger. And he like reacts badly. He's like a monster too in the end. He's like, oh, you're a freak or something like that. And so then when she knocks him off, you're kind of like, well, I guess they all had to go. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, well, and of course we know, I mean, there's, there's another movie to come after this. We know none of these people could possibly have survived or the jig would have been up. Um, before she moved in with Vera Farmiga and Peter Sarsgaard. I mean, it all ends about where we know it was going to end. Um, but in a, you know, sort of suitably gory and gothic fashion. Yes. Uh, and then I think the sort of ultimate ending is that we know that Esther's going to an ad a local American adoption agency. Yes. And they basically do exactly the ending from Psycho, where the psychiatrist is talking about, like, how wonderful this child is and who wouldn't want to adopt her. And then the camera zooms right in on her face as she has this beatific smile that drops to a psychopathic scowl right before we cut to black. Yes. And let it be said, 
Isabel Furman, who is the actress who plays this character, was actually only 12 when they filmed the original movie, but like rarely leaned into the role. And now she, what, I mean, how old is she? She's got to be... She was 23 when they shot this, I believe. She looks pretty young. They chose a good actress. and She, she has quite a bit of fun with this. I sort of suspect that there will not be an orphan third kill, um, and that is fine, but I really was just delighted by the return of this movie. And if you really like dumb things like this, I can't recommend it enough. You can get Paramount Plus free for a week, and uh, you would do worse than spending a Saturday night with a bottle of wine in this movie. I think it's a good Isabel Furman performance in here, apparently, that the sort of accounts of this differ a little bit online, but apparently most of the... They did some de-aging for this um, but it is mostly sort of, you know, makeup and, and forced perspective camera trips and a few body doubles and not um, the really expensive and often very unsatisfying digital process they use sometimes. Um, she's a very good actress. Um, she was in a totally non-horror movie called Novice last year that uh, was really good that you should um, check out if you want to see her do something very different. This is not related, but I just want to cram in a complaint here because it is bugging me the whole time we watch the movie. They make a big deal in the movie, including in the sort of opening credit treatment that the father, there's this trick in his paintings where he paints on them with like day glow paint. So they have an extra layer that you only see when you turn on the lights. Um, and it seems like they're setting a, that up in the movie to be some like big revelation at the end. Esther starts painting on them too. So maybe she's done something crazy or incriminating. And then it just like never pays off at all. The, the detective like uses, for some reason, uses a black light flashlight to go around the house and finds her fingerprints on the 45 record. And, and that's like the most it pays off. And I was really looking forward to some like go to the purple light and there's like, you know, the fires of hell or demon faces or I love daddy or something scrolled on something and we never get that. Um, so that that was my major disappointment with the film. <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend said the exact same thing. And I think what it's trying to do, and this might be a little bit too deep fan service, but isn't it in the original Orphan that there's like a scene where they do reveal and she's like sprawling profanities on the wall in the second movie or something. And they're trying to maybe explain why it is that she does that in that movie. Like that's supposed to be the payoff. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I sort of assume that was happening. But to not do anything with it in this movie was a little confusing. I will concede. But I didn't expect my complaint about this movie that it wouldn't be batshit enough because I thought that would be kind of job one. It could have been a little nuttier, but I would, you know, if you're a fan of the first film, I would, I, you know, definitely would recommend this one. If you haven't seen the first film, I would say watch that instead of this. And then definitely don't watch this one first, even though we've now ruined the surprise of the original movie for you. But I knew it going in and I still enjoyed the hell out of it. So it will not spoil the whole thing for you. Agreed. Really just make an evening of it. These movies are only 90 minutes. You can you can do it. Well, Jeff, I believe that brings us to the end of our discussion of Orphan First Kill. Uh, thank you for joining me for this. Absolutely. A true pleasure. If you enjoy the show, please consider signing up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get an ad-free experience across the network and exclusive content on many shows. You'll also be supporting the work we do here on Spoiler Specials. Sign up now at slate.com slash spoiler plus to help support our work. So that's our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer today is Christy Taiwo Macanjula. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of audio at Slate. For Jeffrey Bloomer, I'm Sam Adams. Thanks for listening. Hello. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.